Hey friends, you're listening to Fun Therapy, where we dive into the horribly messy parts of our not-so-perfect stories, and we do it with a smile. There's no talking points here. There's no shameless self-promotion. There's no here's-how-I-did-everything-right-in-my-life stories. (laughs) No, only beautiful imperfectness on display. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. On the Fun Therapy couch today is my friend, Jason Russell. Jason is the founder of the nonprofit Invisible Children, and he and his wife, Danica, are the authors of the new book, A Little Radical. In 2012, Jason and the Invisible Children team launched the most successful viral campaign in history. It was called Coney 2012. Not only was it a roaring success, but led to Jason having a highly publicized mental breakdown. In this session, we talk about the need to achieve and to prove himself. And how do you process the humiliation of knowing 10 million people watched you lose your mind while naked on a street corner? I know you've got a lot going on in your your world right now. You've got a lot. Yeah, um, family stuff, change, moving, um, some big things coming up in terms of um, you know, travel and all the experiences. How, how is how's Jason? Yeah, I mean, let's see, how is Jason? Jason has been, Jason's like in the in-between where I think a lot of people are in terms of believing that the next thing the next success or the next um, chapter or adventure is like just around the corner or just on the next uh, horizon. And then when you get there, you'll be fine. But what I'm learning is that that's an illusion. That's not really true, that you are where you are. And the point is to, you know, be fully present in that moment because because that's really all you have. And, you know, you'll get there when you get there. I mean, one of the things we always lived by with Invisible Children was kind of a Dan Eldon um, mantra, which is like the journey is the destination. And for so long, a colleague was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then like eight years into the journey, he was like, I get it. I get that. And I think that's where... I'm at because right now there's like anxiety and fear and excitement all wrapped around like the fact that in four months we're taking our kids out of school and we're getting on, getting in a van and traveling the nation for a few months and then getting on a plane and traveling the world. And so like, that's incredibly exciting. And everyone we talk to is like, I'm jealous or like, that's going to be the best time of your life. Um, But on the other side, it's like, well, we don't have all the resources or funding or even know where we're going yet. So (laughs) that can create a lot of um, unrest in the sense of like, are you being a smart person? Are you being like a good dad, a good father, a good husband? Uh, You know, um, so there's a lot of that. So you feel that you're, you're out there taking a risk. You're doing something big. Yeah. Maybe a lot of people are watching. Yeah. 
uh, and and you feel there, there's a sense that maybe like, is there anxiety or fear that what if this doesn't work? Yes, there's that, and there's also the whatever work the means, shadow right? of like the last time we did something and put ourselves out there. There was a lot of pain and confusion and shame and breakdown around that. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you think you're through the junior high fears until those resurface again as an adult. And they're just as potent and, you know, seemingly true. I love what Jason said right there about you think you're through the junior high fears, but then they resurface and they're just as potent. The fear of being judged, the fear of being made fun of, the fear of being hated, those are all real fears. He also talks about some triggers. Jason calls it the shadow of the last time, the shadow of the shame and the pain. And our body and brain will hardwire trauma inside of us especially what Jason went through, the level of humiliation, the hate, the vitriolic judgment, the breakdown. And so this trauma sits in his body and it has triggers. So for Jason reading a comment about someone who hates him or a judgment on what he is creating, it hits those triggers. There's going to be an emotional and physiological response where sometimes you are imagining that what's happening now is actually exactly like what happened back then. All those emotions come flooding back in that instant. It can be a simple, critical online tweet, a smell, a comment, a sound, a date on the calendar. It brings you back to that time in your past. So how do we begin to address the triggers in our life? First, you must become aware of them. We've been doing a few interviews and a few things, putting ourselves out there. And there is that like fear of, should I check the comments, you know, hmm. or should I look and see like who hates me and, and why they hate me or how are they going to make fun of me? Or, you know, I, I just, uh, it's a real thing. And um, it, it's more real because I think I've dealt with it and enough now to like at least realize that those people are in pain and like they don't actually hate me. They just don't like themselves that much. But like for my family, it's a totally different decision because hmm. it's their lives and it's my children that are 10 and 8 and navigating their identity and their journey it's one thing to do it completely offline and travel the world. It's another to like make it a part of your lifestyle and possibly like a brand that you're trying to share with the world. Hmm. Um, so for you, there, there's a sense of um, some of the, the shame and fear and the judgment that came from the Coney mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. and um, is still lingering in the story today. Yeah. And, you know, I can have amnesia sometimes and like forget how painful that all was. And then Mm -hmm. I'll just get like one tweet about the breakdown and about um, the South Park episode that made fun of me. And, And I'm like, oh, yeah, like for millions of people, that is who I am. Hmm. And I forget, I forget that because obviously I surround 
myself with people who love me and my community and my family and coworkers who like, I hope see the true Jason, but like for millions of people, even around the world, it's like, I am that TMZ video. And you've been reduced. You feel like you've just been reduced to this, this one moment of, yeah. of like the hardest, most painful, shameful moment. That's what everybody sees you through. Right. They see you through that lens. Right. And, you know, we did many, many interviews after the breakdown. Oprah was the first who came to our, our house. But for whatever reason, the way media is set up, it's not like all those interviews get to those millions of people who right. heard about the breakdown. Um, so what, what I find is like I ask um, my friends who are in my circle what just out of curiosity, like, what do your friends say when they hear you're friends with me? And all of them have said to me, they want to know how you are. Hmm. They want to know how you're doing, if you're doing okay, which is really kind and earnest, you know? So what would you tell them? I would tell them I'm doing, I'm doing great. Like I've learned a lot. Um, I feel like with the things that actually matter in life, um, I'm doing really well. I have great friends. My family's thriving. Um, business is starting up. You know, I have a creative agency and I have a children's book that we're creating, um, that's done, but we're creating a, a brand around that lifestyle, how to be an everyday activist that's, you know, invitational, inspirational, and um, kind of making activism less scary and polarizing and making it a part of your everyday uh, person. So what would you what would you want those people not to know? Well, I, I think it's just like looking at your own life, you know, wh whoever hears this and and imagining your worst day when you were so not yourself. And, um, and then imagining that being magnified by a hundred million and having it be something that, that you can't take down in terms of when you Google yourself, that is the predominant thing that comes up. Um, and the, you know, there's others, like, I feel like in, in a sense, when Monica Lewinsky did her Ted talk, I felt really connected to her in terms of the shame and the inability to correct the narrative, you know, in terms of there's not, there's like coming to terms with there's nothing I can do or say that will ever um, reimagine or repaint that version of me. Jason says that nothing I can do or say will reimagine that version of me. He's forever branded by that TMZ moment, your worst moment magnified by 10 million. And there's nothing you can do to correct the narrative. He says that I am that TMZ moment. I can never undo it. I call these moments in our stories toothpaste moments, where the toothpaste comes out of the tube and no matter how hard you try to get the toothpaste back in, it's not going back. There's no redo button. Google never forgets. And it is in these moments 
for your worst moment, in my worst moment, in Jason's worst moment. These are the places where we must let grace rush in. Even my friends and coworkers, I explained that like the breakdown itself was out of body in that I truly felt that something in my body was controlling my body, which when you hear that sounds like you're taking yourself out of the responsibility of what happened, which I never want to. I feel like I take responsibility for every all my actions and decisions leading up to that moment, but the, the moment happened and... Um, Do you think you take too much responsibility? Do I take too much responsibility? Maybe. Um, I, but I do, I, I've come to terms with I don't know how else it could have happened. I mean, my friends who are with me, Bob and Danica, are like, we wish that we like tied you up and like, you know, chained your physical body to a pole or something. And I'm like, but really? Like, <laughs> was that really going to happen? So, no, I think honestly, like, it's taken five years to realize that like because of that what happened to me i've actually been a source of healing for a lot of people who struggled mm -hmm. with mental illness and with anxiety and with breakdowns and with it, whether it happened to themselves or whether it happened to a family member they've been able to have the courage to share that with me and say like i'm so glad that like my naked butt's not on T tmz but it was it's almost like Thanks for taking one for the team and like for allowing people to hopefully talk about mental health. Hmm. So you've seen a lot of good things come from obviously your hardest moment ever in your entire life. Yes. And existence. Um, and then you're also seeing sort of the, maybe the remnants of that too, just there's still unresolved pieces there's still shame it right. feels like maybe some of the things that are happening today in terms of like ah uh, this is my this is my second chance at something I'm putting myself back out there again i don't want to be judged right i don't want to be hurt i don't want to fail i don't want to yeah. i don't want my kids to hurt i want danica to you know yeah be in the how are you how are you processing all that like in terms of there's the excitement, which is certainly, and and maybe you tell the critics or the people that saw you naked on TMZ, like, hey, look, yeah, I'm standing again. I'm doing something again. I'm doing like, I'm I have this book. I'm with my family. We're doing this yeah. amazing trip. But there's also this piece of you that feels, you know, not quite um, like maybe the wound is still the wound, mm -hmm. and it still speaks into some of the things of today. Yeah, and you know, we've talked about this idea a lot in terms of it it's really difficult to help somebody through something if you have no idea how painful it is or what it's like. And on this existential human journey, so far it is impossible to actually be inside someone else's experience. Um but if you have had a similar pain, whatever that might look like in terms of your childhood or background, that that 
that pain, if you allow it to connect with someone else's immediate pain, then it will heal you and it will heal them better than any kind of yoga or therapy or medication can. The writer Anne Lamont once said that the most beautiful healing words we could ever say to another hurting soul are the words, me too. See, I believe what Jason's learning about his life in that moment, that TMZ moment, is that sometimes we fall down because there's something down there we're supposed to discover about ourselves. Jason's pain has unlocked a new level of empathy and compassion And of course, an authority to speak on what it's like to have a mental breakdown. His story is helping other stories. He is seeing the gift that arises from the pain. I showed actually um, Everly for the first time, Coney 2012, last month. And the next day she said... um, I said, what did you think about it? And she said, it was sad. And I said, well, what's sad about it? And she said, well, have you ever told Jacob that you didn't fulfill your promise? And I was like, hmm, I haven't told him that yet, you know. But I know that we tried as hard as we could, and I know that invisible children actually still exist. Um, Whether people know that or not, it's actually on the ground doing what it's supposed to do, which is bring home victims of Coney's rebel army. How did that make you feel when she said that? It made me sad. It made me really sad to think, because I think I've I've prided myself on finishing what I start. Like that's one of the things that I feel like I can put on my resume, like, if I say I'm going to do something, I promise you I will do it. And the journey of letting go of the idea that I played my part, I did my role to the best of my ability, which was to, like, tell the story to the best of my ability. Um, And... And being able to let that go took many years. And I think I still probably wrestle with that today. I think so, too. Yeah. I guess there's the standard that you hold yourself to. feels very, very strong, Mm -hmm. very high. Yeah, I think that's, that's the achiever in me that's kind of been ingrained through my nature. I'm that way, but it was also nurtured, like all... Four of us were four siblings. We all were modeled a way of life, which was to work Mm. every day, all day. Like even if you're, even if it's the weekend, then you will be at home gardening and you will be at home making sure things are, but like most of our weekends were spent in a theater putting in the sets or doing a show or at rehearsals, like, and even at our dinner tables, we were only always talking about work. Hmm. So you don't know that till you get older, like, oh, that's our culture. And my sister, nonstop hairdresser working, like she's just 
from the time she gets up to the time she goes to bed, it's like constant work. My other sister, same thing. She's running my parents' theater company. My brother works at the theater company too, constantly, like nonstop. And I'm the same way. Like we get our identity and our fulfillment by what we do and what we produce. And so as a three on the Enneagram, I have found a way to present myself as someone who has a goal, is going to achieve it, is going to succeed. And my biggest fear is failure. And I think that because I had the dream with Bobby and Laren to think we could be a part of ending this injustice and believing someone else was out there who could probably do it, but we needed to get to them. And then everyone we came in contact with was like, no, I'm not in charge of ending the war. I'm not in charge, like from the International Criminal Court to the African Union, to the Ugandan government, to the United States government, to mercenary forces, to like, we went through everything we could think of to help us, you know, to help the world bring the number one criminal to justice. And yeah, when when it kind of, when it imploded and we had to say goodbye, um, there was a major death, you know, to ego, to the dream, you know, first and foremost to the millions of people that have been displaced by the violence, to the tens of thousands of children and women who've been kidnapped. Um, And like before Coney 2012, we felt like, well, it's because not enough people know. But if the world knows, then for sure they're going to be held accountable because like they have no, they have no power. There's only two or 300 in the rebel army. So this whole idea of like, once people know they'll do something, but instead it, it flipped on its side and the actual agency nonprofit that brought the story became the enemy. Like it was like, who are you to say that this, you know, are you guys white saviors? You know, 20% of the money's going to your filmmaking. How dare you steal that from Africa? <laughs> like all these kind of ways in which it was, the mirror was turned on ourselves and we didn't, we weren't prepared for that. Um, and especially on you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's sort of the we, but in ourselves and the organization. Right. But. And that was, uh, that was because for all the years of, of telling the story and making the movies and doing the campaigns, I, in that moment, was like, finally the world is listening. And I was so excited that I was like, interview after interview after like I was just like it's gonna happen this is the year like I like I can't believe a viral video could actually help end a war like and dreaming that that was gonna happen maybe was idealistic but I I want to remain idealistic you know so the 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 failure part like you you grew up in a family that was very work hard Mm -hmm. perform I'm sure at a very very excellent high level um, the things that your family was creating and still yeah. are. And like the blemishes and like flaws and more 
complicated things, you need to hide those uh-huh. away because it was similar to like being a pastor's kid where because it's it was like a Christian organization, it was like, let's just keep those over here okay. and not address them. You know, I, and I also think that's generational. I think a lot of like baby boomers were dealing with that from from their parents, you know, who didn't even say I love you to them. So you growing up in a family that says work hard, actually work, it sounds like work every day, yeah. 12 hours, 16 hour days, make it really good, perform at a very high level. And by the way, when there is something that goes wrong or a flaw or something that we don't want to see or show our neighbors, you hide that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big lesson on life, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, Especially in the when you run that through the filter of the Coney 2012 incident. You've, yeah. This is the way the world works. Mm-hmm. And there's and then that happens and there is no hiding. Right. And at some I mean, do you feel like that was a moment we can we have lots of discussions about this, but like feels like a failure. And it wasn't the we, it wasn't the organization. It's like the TMZ moment yes. is is you. Yes. Jason failed. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I do. And you feel the way And I think without that, that, like without even the video, you know, being sold and to TMZ and everything, like that would have been really helpful to not have online because then it would just be like, oh, he had a breakdown that's sad. But that it was online and then it was a South Park episode and then it became like a meme in the troll world of the internet you know like i remember so clearly as a kid Wee herman the actor in a movie theater getting busted for inappropriate behavior like mm-hmm. and <clears throat> there were people online and they still do are like oh he like jason is that to our generation mm-hmm. like he will be forever the Wee herman incident mm-hmm. um and that's strange to take that internet meme on, even though it is a reality, because that's not really who I am. So, like, it's like, your is your darkest day who you really are? No. Is it a part of who you are? Yes. It is a part of who you are. But it doesn't define you, and I think... Yeah, I just think, for me, I don't want to live in the shadow of that, so I'm going to keep on going. And I do think that I've been privileged and blessed, and I do think I have skill sets that uh, can be offered to the world to make it better. And I think that that's what better journey to like live and know that your life has an impact on someone else's. At this point, Jason brings up several key things that makes the event so traumatic for him. Number one, he is a three on the Enneagram, the achiever, and the biggest fear for this 
personality type is the fear of failure. Number two, he mentions his family of origin and how his entire childhood was based on performance, high performance, working hard, work, work, work to get it right. And then it doesn't go right. Number three, he says that this moment felt like a death for him. And really it was the death of reputation, the death of a dream, the death of self. And in order for us to process any death, we must grieve it. And I believe until we go through the five stages of grief, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression, and finally the acceptance, until we honor and process all these feelings, it is impossible to truly move forward into the healing and into the resurrection of what was once dead. Do you feel like, um, just if you were going to give sort of a number or a percentage to it in terms of, of the wound of that, that feeling like you let somebody or Jacob down or let people of Uganda down or let an organization down, like, it, like for it to be like you to carry that weight or sort of that, that moment. And then the moment of today, as you start, like there's something very painful and there's something very beautiful that's starting. Like, how would you, in terms of measuring that impact, in terms of kind of just how you how you approach it and and the good days and the bad days? Like, you, do you know what I'm saying in terms of just the lingering effects? Yeah, I I, I don't know. And unless I mean, to me, the answer is just like day by day and moment by moment in the decisions that we that we take take on. I mean, I do think, and I've tried to be committed to being idealistic and believing the world does change and that hope and love in the end win and that justice will come and that it can come swiftly um, at times. And so I just, my, my mind is planted usually there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that because I, put my mind in the future and I'm a futurist and like when you really study history and like the the game changers that happened in history like most of them were super crazy in terms of like their perception in the world like almost like crazy to the point where a lot of my heroes were killed because of their belief in peace and equality and so to me it like those stories and those um, individuals, they pull me forward because I'm like, yeah, like most people don't know that. And I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm just saying they they inspired me. Mm -hmm. But like Dr. Martin Luther King like had a breakdown and he had to go away and like actually recoup. But that's not what most people know. And you kind of dig into these like, people who changed history and you know they were always told no and they're always told this is not going to happen and so I use those criticisms and those negative thoughts to fuel me like gasoline like I take them in and I go cool let's let's push forward but I um do you feel like you have something to prove or just something to enjoy um I think there's something to prove and in terms of like, for me, it's like this child's life here 
named Jacob and Tony and Boney and Rosalind and Emmy, their lives are as valuable and, and precious as your child. And so to me, that's what, that's what pulls me forward. And that's why we dedicated most of Invisible Children's storytelling to like these faces in these lives. Because once you know who they are and you know their name and you've seen their eyes and you've seen their joy and their tears, how can you deny that they are actually your children too? Hmm. And, and your humanity is bound to their humanity. So what about this? What about the little radical journey of your life? Do you feel like you have something to prove or it's something to enjoy? <sighs> I do want to say that it's both. This is an important question for Jason in this moment. Do you have something to prove or enjoy? It's really getting at the question of what drives him. We already talked about him being a three on the Enneagram, you know, the achiever and how failure is not an option. We talked about Jason would love for people to know that he is more than the TMZ mental breakdown moment. The proving part of us is driven by shame and feeling like we are not enough. It comes from our shadow self, the false self. I love Jason's heart for helping others, for tackling the world's biggest problems, but we must always be aware of falling into the trap of having something to prove to the world. For this is just simply a symptom of shame. In a sense, they're sort of like, can I do it again? Totally. I read this interview that Oprah just did for Vogue like this week. And she said that she read an interview in the 80s of Michael Jackson, who came out with Thriller and then created Bad. And Bad only sold 20 million albums. And he felt like it was a failure because mm-hmm. he was trying to top Thriller. And she was making the comparison to her show that like, I wanted to end when it was like awesome. I didn't want to keep trying to top it because they had topped it every year after that. And it hit me like, am I trying to top 2012? And do my clients come to me to say, I want what you had for 2012 for our organization. Like you're the viral guy. And I've learned a lot and I have techniques and tools and a team that can like produce great results. But like, it, it just hit me like, oh, am I trying to actually do that again? Because we know how it ended. <laughs> what do you but, think? I mean, just 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 looking at your story, looking at the family that you grew up yeah. in, looking at your achiever, looking at your response, you're very responsible. You take on a lot of responsibility. Like, do you feel like you you need to do it again? So the narrative I've been telling myself the last five years is like, or the last maybe three years, is that journey was a preface because everything in your life is preparing you for the opportunity that is to come, right? That's an Oprah quote. But like, so if that was the preparation, then what is to come? And it's not going to look like Invisible Children or Coney 2012, but the lessons that you learn through that are going to inform what we're going to do next. And one of my mentors, Tom Shadiak, 
has been trying for years to get me to divorce myself from the idolatry of magnitude, which is idolizing only the big and only the epic and only the powerful and only the famous and only the, the... I have something to prove. Yeah. But after my last phone call with him, I was like, but that's who I am. Mm. That's actually who I am. That fires me up. That makes me excited. Like, I, I do believe Mother Teresa was right when she said we, can, we can't always do like grand things, but we can do small things with grand love, you know, mm -hmm. paraphrasing. But the idea is like, and I believe that's true too, that like in each detail of whoever you meet, you can love them. But I do believe I was created for big things. Mm -hmm. And I used to feel like, no, stop going for the big or like dreaming for the big. But I'm like, but what if that's my actual special sauce or identity? And like not fearing that actually kind of liberated me. I was like, I'm okay. Like, you what, know. Yeah, for you, like what if, in, you know, I, I, I see a lot of that in you and I see the, the sense of, you know, how you're wired and how yeah. you how you go for it. It it it's really about the the tension of the control, the responsibility, the making it, the scaling, yeah, yeah. and being at peace with enjoying where just where it's at. Yeah, and I think that's why Danica is so good for me because she's a seven. So she cannot help but seek the joy and mm -hmm. the fun. Like literally right now, she's probably planning like where we're going to the beach and then we're going to go have this fun <laughs> dinner and then we're going to do a movie. And yes. then, you know, she's just like, you can't stop her from doing that. And to, for someone to tell her like, Danica, you have fun wherever you go and you should stop trying to do that. She's like, no, that's who I am. Yeah. And sometimes it's not, always appropriate or healthy, but like, that's true for me too. You know, you're achieving and you're succeeding and you're, that's not always healthy, but it is who you are. So we don't want to negate that. Yeah, so like, it's that whole false self, true self, mm -hmm. the light light and the shadow are the same. It, yeah. it's, it's how you hold that. And it, and really just in like how, how the fears of being our true selves dictate our decisions right like, and so like is there a fear like if i don't succeed right if i it's not big enough yeah if i if this doesn't work out the way you know it's supposed to it's that that's fear so that can either make that this next season really enjoyable not the fear the fear is going to make it actually quite miserable right but the enjoyable part is saying i am who i am i'm occupying my identity my true self, my light. Yes, there's dark, but it, it's it's a sense of just being being who you are, and knowing that you're loved too for who you are. That mm -hmm. and I, you know, as your friend, and I think the people that are looking who are with you, and there's so many people, thousands of people are with you, and Danica, and, and want to see you just thrive. There, there's your aspirational sort of thing where it's got to conquer the. Conquer mm -hmm. the mountain. I think most people, and I think that's true of all of our stories, most people are just saying, we just want you to be happy, right? We just yeah. want you to enjoy today. Right. 
Yeah, and that's a challenge, to be honest. It is. What makes it so hard for you? Um, like in one, just give me like one thought, like what one sense, like why is it so hard to enjoy today? Because of the nagging uncertainty, you know, like of, of the last three years, just wondering how we're going to make it even through the week. Like that is a lot of pressure and tension of like, there's no backup plan. You know, there's literally no backup plan. You have to figure out how to make it through like financially the next week. Yeah. So it is, it is the responsibility mm -hmm. that grinds the enjoyment out of it. It is the, maybe the proving like, I'm going to prove I got, I have something else in me. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to be a success. Yes. Again. Mm -hmm. Takes the joy out of today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of like being in the now. Like for my birthday this year, Danica got me that like floating water thing where you're like floating in salt water. And you kind of just are in there for 90 minutes. It's like really cool. Have you heard of it? No, but it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's like you're, it's like a total pod where it's like completely black. There's no sound. There's no light. And you're floating and you can't drown. But you're like in so much salt water that your body is like in space. And so yes. it's kind of like your consciousness is like just floating. Uh, it's it's a trip but like sounds amazing yeah so then i get home at like 11 in the morning and she's like well what do you want to do now she's like do you want to just like watch netflix or something like a movie and it's like a random tuesday and i'm like sure and then she was like do you want a beer and i was like yeah and then like she looked at me and i was so happy and she said oh my gosh you've never done this uh You've like you feel like you're doing something wrong right now on a Tuesday by not working or not achieving or not doing something. Yes. And like you're actually because it's your birthday, you get this one excuse to just have a beer and watch Netflix all day, which I've never done. And I think I only did it for three hours and I had to go do something. But like just that concept hit her because she's like, some people just do that. They need a day off. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's like a real programmed thing in my head that's like, if you're not working, you're failing. Mm. Or the day, like my day is only as good as like all the things on I was going to do on my to-do list and scratching them off. And if I only got like four of them done, I'm like, oh, that was a bad day. Yeah. The, the, the power of yeah. our family of origin. <laughs> exactly. <Yes>. <laughs> but <laughs> then you dream, I dream of times where I'm like, I want to go into the woods and live in a cabin for a month, like by myself. Yes. Honestly. And my wife's like, you're not doing that. But what? like the dream of that is, is like very real to me. Did you catch what Jason just shared there? So we have agreed that achieving, dreaming big is a part of Jason's identity. But there's a quieter part of his identity that is being neglected. It's the quiet resting Jason, the Jason who desires to go into the woods and do a cabin for a month to rest. But this other part of his identity is at the mercy of the achiever, 
the achiever calls the shots. And so the quiet, resting Jason doesn't have a voice. And yet it'll be so critical for Jason to experience every aspect of his identity and not allow the achiever, the performer, the worker to have all the say and to ignore the other parts of his identity that want to rest and have solitude and sit on top of salt water and just be silent. So question for you, I, I actually, why isn't that part of true self, Jason? The idea of like being offline or well, just, just the giving yourself permission to float on the salt water and to have a beer in the afternoon and to yeah. go to the cabin. Like, why isn't there permission for that? If there's a, if there's a longing in your heart for it. My gut reaction is the same. It's just like, I think it's the programmed voice of that selfish and the other voice of like, you have many jobs to do. And if you don't do them, who's going to do them? So the response, the over-responsibility, by the way, over-responsibility is from our false self, come, flows from shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, the responsi- responsibility is healthy. Over-responsibility is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so for you, there's this, it, it always goes back to, it, if it's going to be, it's up to me. It's on yeah. my shoulders, whether mm-hmm. it's paying the bills, yep. getting a project out the door, the design company, right? The having a little radical be successful, having invisible visible children be successful. Like there is this weight that you carry with you mm-hmm. that says, uh, "It's I, it's mine, mm-hmm. and I'm going to work it every till, till it kills me." Yeah, and it almost did. Yeah, it's true. So I wonder what it looked like for you just to um, listen to some other longings of your heart. Mm. And not the programming yeah. of work and over responsibility or shame or whatever that is sort of the behind the scenes um, family of origin stuff. Yeah, and and because I, I do believe you're you're an achiever. I, I believe that's part of how God has wired you. Mm-hmm. But but there is a some of the deeper longings in you feel like they're having to take a back seat to the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very real. I mean, it's one of those like mind games where it's like, how do you reprogram that or start to put boundaries or participate in new patterns that are healthy and life-giving and better for those even around you and others who you trust who hold you accountable to that. Hmm. And challenge you in the, in those ways, and you're one of them, and Bob is one of them, and Tom. There are. I feel blessed for having really great mentors. I have like a handful of them, and they do pour into my life and know me in ways that are able to challenge me. And I don't know what my response is, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of like seeing that and acknowledging that. I'm aware of it, but it's like any addict or any person struggling with some kind of disease it's like but how do I get Mm. control of that or how do I stop 
doing that, you know? Well, thanks for listening and for joining us on this episode of Fun Therapy. A special thanks to Jason Russell for sharing so openly and honestly from his story. I'd love for you to check out Jason and Danica's new book, new children's book called A Little Radical, The ABCs of Activism. You can buy it and learn more about what they're up to at alittleradical.com. That's his website. I've actually bought several copies of this book because it, I just give it to friends and it's so beautiful and wonderful and I think you'll really enjoy it. And if you've enjoyed the Fun Therapy Podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It means a lot to me and it really helps the show. Tell your friends, we got some great shows coming up, uh, some incredible interviews and therapy sessions with people you just need to hear from. If you want to connect with me more, uh, my website is mikefoster.tv or over at secondchance.org. And of course, I'm on Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm always posting pictures of my dog and my family and inspirational quotes to just encourage you wherever you're at on your journey. And uh, I'm at mikefoster2000 on Instagram and Mike Foster on Twitter. I want to say a special thanks to the amazingly talented Sleeping at Last for providing the beautiful music for this episode. And remember, Fun Therapy is a proud member of the Relevant Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, more amazing podcasts, make sure to check out the Relevant Podcast Network at relevantmagazine.com backslash podcasts. Thanks again, guys, for listening. And remember, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers. And honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you next time on the Fun Therapy Podcast. Podcast.